This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now. Unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. MBS plus a guest just BSing about a guest's favorite thing Welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Shelby Plummer, and she talks to me about her love of Kurt Vonnegut. I am admittedly not well-read where Vonnegut is concerned, but Shelby did a wonderful job of encapsulating what it is about Vonnegut's works that inspired her uh, late in her high school career and has kind of buoyed her through the last, you know, decade-plus of her life after that. She's so smart and so funny and speaks to this in such a specific way. It's very clear how and why she's passionate about uh, the works of Vonnegut and how much they've influenced her. I hate that this was as short as it was, but I think we got some excellent bang for our buck. Uh, I know that we could have gotten more in-depth on a lot of things and that Vonnegut is, uh, has a huge you know, fan base. So uh, thank you so much for checking out this uh, conversation that Shelby and I had live at the Moxie Hotel here in Chicago last night. Turn it around, baby. Shelby has a huge comedy festival coming up at I.O. She's the creative director there at I.O. Chicago. And this Friday night, she's opening their very first Bentwood Comedy Festival. It runs for almost 10 days, and they have a really wonderful setup of headliners and shows. So you should definitely check out BentonwoodFestival.com for more dates and details on that. You might even catch little old me playing with Cards Against Humanity on August 18th at 10 p.m. If you're going to be around, might as well see that one. The lineup of headliners actually includes lots of past MBS and guests as members of Three Pete, <laughs> technically as members of TJ and Dave, Magic Tavern, Matt Damon Improv, uh, a, lo- a lot of familiar faces from my past guests, which is very cool. So check out their, you know, a thing they're passionate about, and then go see them on stage at the Bentwood Festival. I think that's a pretty cool way to inform your festival going. One other thing that I want to mention where Shelby is concerned, she brings this up during our interview, uh, but she lost a boyfriend in James Conklin uh, in the last few years, and I wanted to give a shout-out to his memorial scholarship that they've set up at the I.O. It's for someone to uh, go through the whole uh, summer intensive in Chicago uh, on uh, the James Conklin Memorial Scholarships dime. So if you are someone who is interested in improv and has never gotten an opportunity and maybe can't really afford to just take that leap, uh, let uh, the memory of a sweet, sweet man help you uh, fulfill that dream and kind of uh, take all these things that Shelby speaks to in terms of uh, Vonnegut's sensibilities and what he brought to the stage 
or what he helps her bring to the stage, rather, and uh, let that inspire you to check out uh, the I.O. program and uh, this memorial scholarship. Thank you so much for listening. I think I'm going to leave it there for plugs and just let you enjoy this conversation with Shelby Plummer. Hey guys, I'm Mary Beth Smith. I'm the host of a podcast called MBSing. The concept, if you're unfamiliar, is that I ask a member of the Chicago creative community, be it improvisers, actors, cartoonists, uh, game makers, all kinds. There's a plethora of people who've been on the show in the past, but today I have the pleasure of having the creative director at IO Chicago, Shelby Plummer, here with me. And she's going to be talking to me about something that she really loves, knows a lot about, is very passionate about, and Shelby has chosen to talk about Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. So, what is the origin of your love of... Kurt Vonnegut. Ooh, okay, so this is actually a kind of a pseudo silly story. Um, I think like comes back to, uh, you know, so first of all, I'm a Hoosier. Kurt okay. Vonnegut is also a Hoosier. That's um, that's important. Yes. Yeah, you, yeah. Indiana's pride. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. And um, I think it is uh, Cat's Cradle, which you said your partner read to you. Yeah, the first couple chapters. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that, he has one of the characters say to another character, you always meet a Hoosier somewhere doing something great. And I have carried that with me through uh, a majority of my life. <laughs> um, just been your constant reminder. Yes, yes. That someone somewhere in Indiana is doing yes. something great. Right, right. And I think that I, well, I kind of wish that my introduction to Kurt Vonnegut would have been uh, cool and organic, just me being a precocious like right. fifteen year old. But uh-huh. really, what happened um, when I was I guess I was like fourteen or fifteen, I had met someone online, my first boyfriend. No way. Um, yeah, and he told me that he was reading Slaughterhouse Five at the time, and it. then uh, my father found all of our text conversations, and I was grounded for three months and couldn't talk to him. Oh my! Right. God. So then. <laughs> Then uh, there was a, uh, in, in one of my English classes, my AP English class, they were like, okay, pick out a like American author that you want to read for a book report. And I saw that one of the options was Slaughterhouse-Five, so I read it and then ended up just like falling in love with Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and I devoured every single one of his books and short stories after that. That's amazing. Yes. I feel like that's a... Uh a champion of the Indiana public school system. Yeah, it really is. You know, <laughs> they invigorated the it's horny little teenager side of me. <laughs> <laughs> what well, was it about Slaughterhouse-Five that made you go, oh my God, I have to read all of the other stories? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think for the first time I had read someone with a voice that really resonated with me. And I think... I, at the time, I was like, I didn't know that anybody had the same thoughts that I did around sure. certain topics because I think I was very much in like a kind of conservative Indiana bubble. Um, so a lot of the times, like I just uh, I felt like I had ideas about how I wanted like our government to work uh, or how I thought like we should treat each other right. about how humanity should work. And um, you're just surrounded by people who are yes, like, no, you're like, no, what are you talking about? Like, I'm so naive. And then to read. <laughs> Like a war veteran be like in in such a lovely like pa- like a, it was just in this like 
you know, fictional package. And I mean, it was not only a lovely story, but it was like, oh, it's okay to have these ideas. And actually a lot of people do. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. That has to, I mean, that just speaks to the power of like quote unquote representation. Yes, you know, like right. it, it's an instance of it, I would say. Right. And I, I think I was also just really riveted by history and he does such a good job of like blending science fiction themes with art, like specifically US history. Um, so that was also my favorite. Were you already yeah. a sci-fi fan going into yeah, that too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Star Wars was one of my favorite movies growing up. Yeah. Like as much as I like could access, I really loved Philip K. Dick at the time. Yeah. Um, and then when I found Vonnegut, I was just like, oh, this it is. It really does seem like the perfect storm of it a lot really of things. Because you told me that you're interested in it. You had a strong, like, history. Yes. Through yeah. lines. Especially, so. like, American history was really riveting to me. And also Slaughterhouse-Five was something that he had wrote later in his life about his experience uh, as a uh, as a prisoner of war. Um, and so, it, but it's also crazy because it's, like, partly about his experience, partly about this uh, group of aliens called the Tramphalmadorians who experienced time not on a linear landscape, right. but with like di in different moments. Yes. I've yeah. heard it compared to, did you see the film Arrival? Yeah. Uh, I've seen parts of Arrival, okay. not all of it. Yeah. I'm a big fan, and I've heard it compared to that uh, in terms of like the way they treat time yeah. and and some of the other aspects. Yeah, of it. it's really my. I think a picture that like still stays with me. So um, when Billy Pilgrim, who is the main character of the story, uh, is interacting with the Tramphalmadorians, they say that humans experience time like they're on the bed of a like flatbed train car and they're looking up at the sky through a PVC pipe. So they're only seeing like where the train takes them in this small tunnel vision, whereas the Tramphalmadorians can see every moment in time as it existed um, through all amounts of history. So, like, the big, the big thing is, and I think this relates to, like, him being a prisoner of war, is when people die, the Tramphalmadorians say, so it goes, because that's only one moment in time. And for every other moment in time in history, people are living and having these experiences, and that is going on constantly. Um... Which I think is like really influenced my like. It thoughts. just tickled all yeah. your existential yes, like, needs. <laughs> wow, I was like, if time really did work that way, or if I, you know, trick my mind. To or thinking. if we could think about it like that. Right, right. It's just very lovely. That is, it is so fun to think about. You know, ten years ago, yes, <laughs> yeah. of you just like being a little <laughs> budding like 14 thinker, and I was like, yes, this is everything. <laughs> well, and I also feel like, I mean, not to like get too heavy about it but my and i think you knew james maybe? yeah yeah so my boyfriend passed away like uh, somewhat recently and mm -hmm. i think it's funny that like i got into that novel because of like a weird relationship that's so funny and yeah. then after james passed away um i remember we were at his service me and uh, his friend zach and i had brought slaughterhouse five to Aww. like show passages to his dad about like their concept of time and death and, and grief stuff. and yeah and i remember like reading a portion to zach and him being like i need to get this book and then he read the book that's so amazing. i just yeah i feel like it's had a really cool like through oh line i have in my chills life. Yeah. that's really sweet yeah. to hear that it is something that you know on opposite ends of that spectrum so right. that it kind of like inspired you in the beginning and kind of led you through your adolescence yeah. coming back to it yeah i feel like those i feel like 
the things that we're the most passionate about have that effect on our lives. Yeah, and I've, I usually, I try to read Slaughterhouse-Five on every vacation that I go on, which is maybe not a great vacation book. I'm I told my mom to do that, and my mom was like, I got a chapter in, and I can't take this. She was like, I understand that you like, you know, heavier things. She's like, but I can't do it. So I don't think she's totally read it yet. Not a vacay book for right. just anybody. Right. I told her, I was like, try Sirens of Titan, and I think she got like a couple pages in, and she was like, absolutely not. She was like, no way. Uh, so did you do that? Did you like proselytize in your adolescence as well? Like, were you trying to get your other like classmates and friends to be like, Hey, check out this Monica guy. Yes. Were you oh, that yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah. I was definitely that kid. I was like, Oh, you don't, you guys don't understand. You really have to read him. Like your whole <laughs> attitude will change. And I think like, I think it's like a hipster thing now to be like, you should try Vonnegut For or like sure. infinite Jess. But I was a kid. I was just like, you don't, this guy is doing new stuff. Stop! This guy eh, just talking about things and what is somebody else sure. doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's oh, I forgot and that also, connection too. Yeah, and also I think this is super weird. So like the year that I was introduced to Slaughterhouse Five is the year that uh, Kurt Vonnegut passed away in Indianapolis, which was thirty minutes away from me. Yeah, wow. isn't that crazy? So well, like so I fell goes. in love with him. So it <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a fast learner. It's true. It's true. So after you kind of devoured all of his works, it probably eschewed homework and things like that, yeah. uh, doing all this in your spare time. Where did that lead you? Like, uh, how did that influence you in the short term uh, in terms of, like, academia mm -hmm. and uh, other things that you were interested in? Yeah, I never I, – I think I was never really – I mean, I liked reading. I always – and I loved, like, hearing stories – um, but I had never like really devoured literature until I found Vonnegut. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And then after that, I was just like, oh, this is like kind of a gateway into how I experience other things. I wish I had such a, a high level author to point to I just, where that's yeah. concerned. Uh, yeah. All the things I devoured are like, you know, young adult novels. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th I feel like I did. I got more into those two. Sure. Because I was just like, oh, this is... Oh, like, he opened the door for yes. you in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's of cool. Like, oh, these are experiences, like, worth gaining. Yeah. Uh, to read like that. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, once you had, uh, you know, eaten through all that, uh, did you, like, did that influence what you studied at yeah. that point? It, it for sure did. So, I went to Indiana University. Again, go Hoosiers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I studied English, gender studies, and theater arts, and I did my three degrees in three years Damn. Um, which was it was fast and then my senior year I did honors thesis work and I did a concentration in fiction writing which was definitely because of Vonnegut um, and so my honors thesis for my English major was so uh, blending two worlds here yeah so I did a collection of short stories that were structured like improv forms but Whoa. were inspired by the works of Kurt Vonnegut what the hell so I don't know if they are any good anymore but I think technically I was very savvy about what I did. So you were already into improv in college? Is that like... Yeah, well, I did mostly sketch. Oh, um, okay, with okay. a group called the University Twits, which is still around, which is great. Awesome. Um, but I did mostly sketch and then um, got into... I got like a scholarship to go to I.O. in Second City cool. one summer and went and did that and then let that kind of influence what I was doing my like, technical senior year, even though I didn't have classes. I was working on honors thesis work. So you structured short stories into improv form? Yeah. So, like, if you think about the Le Ronde, where you mm -hmm. have, like, 
you know, two characters together, then one character leaves, bring in another character, but the char- one of the characters from the first one is together, and that goes on so on and so forth right. t- until the first character who basically left the piece comes back. Right. Um, I had a short story like that. I had a short story that was based off of, like, the montage, which is, like, kind of a stream of consciousness. Uh-huh. But I tried to write, like, similarly to the voice of Kurt Vonnegut, which I honestly feel like you- being so invested in him, like, my writing voice is... I wouldn't say similar because I don't think I'm at the same level, yeah. but he like he's not only I think influenced my comedic sensibilities on stage, but definitely my writing style. That is so cool. It's such an interesting way to uh, like what a precocious thing to go like I'm gonna write improv forms, but Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> way. Yeah, yeah. And and it seems like all those you know both of those forms that you named in terms of just like. The way that they use a uh, unique structure to tell a story, I guess, yeah. seem to lend themselves to Vonnegut's style so they easily. They truly do. They, yeah. I, I would say, like, I don't know, reading through his books, none of them really have the same, like, narrative form. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, Slaughterhouse-Five is kind of broken up into these different pieces of time because within the context of that book. So, Billy Pilgrim is a character that's unstuck in time. So, you see these bits and pieces of different moments weaving together. Um, you know, something like Cat's Cradle... It, it goes between, like, the words of Bonacottism, which is, like, a invented religion in that book. Right. Plus, like, some of the scenes that are happening. But it's also, like, you're going in and out of American history with the creation of the first, like, nuclear bomb. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. also told pretty out of order. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like Sirens of Titan, although Slaughterhouse-Five holds a, like, special place in my heart, Sirens of Titan is probably my favorite book. So that that was definitely going to be a question somewhere yes. along the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in Sirens of Titan, so they start with a specific event, and then they kind of, like, build out the world around that event. So cool. you, like, go into it not knowing. Like, it's in Medias Race, right? Like, you uh-huh. go in not, you don't know what's happening. And then it's, like, explained to you in these, like, almost vignettes around that specific scene. And then you revisit that and you, like, go into the future, basically, from there. Um, It's kind of like having a spine scene in an improv show and, like, jumping back and forth from it. Yeah. I love that. That is so interesting. His short stories are similar, too. Even just the comparison of those things and kind of it's so clear the one-to-one to to the improv forms and like trying to structure an improv show yeah because that's so much what uh you know obviously improvisers are aware of that but i don't know how much audiences would recognize that so much of improv is just like how you're structuring and telling a story right or how Uh, you like tie it up at the end right and i feel like he like opened up a big door for me in terms of my own writing because i think when i first went into like writer's workshop at iu um, I thought that like, oh, you kind of have to have a master plan for how everything's going to go. But even reading his work, you can kind of see in some of his novels, it's like, you know, maybe he just like put things together at the end because they made the most sense. Right. Right. Not because they were on some like plotted out story sure. arc that he had pre-written. Like he really put things together as he was going and realizing who these characters were. And just the idea of like kind of giving yourself to what the piece is and not what you want it to be has been Ooh. like right like that's so improv juicy i know (laughs) yeah it really is and it's so funny that you say that because i do remember in talking to my partner briefly about because he's also a fan of vonnegut uh he said he told me something 
also to that effect, I think it was specifically about Cat's Cradle that he has to have written mm -hmm. the bulk of the narrative before he wrote some of the like framing devices for it. Right, right. And I feel like, like you said, that's such an important lesson in mm -hmm. in writing, in improv, in like sketch writing. Like you don't have to always start from whatever that you know cold open is. Right, or right. yeah, yeah. And I think like even starting at a point in time where it's like you know this is the most important scene. Why not put it first? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, that kind of sounds like what the um, Sirens of Titan structure more yeah. is. It's like, this is the most major event in this. So we're going to talk about it now. And yeah. then you're going to figure out all the rest of the details along the way. Right. Right. It, I think, uh, also ties in nicely with improv in that it, it incorporates a decent amount of trust. Yes. Like you have to trust that a reader even though, like, those first couple chapters of Cat's Cradle are like, what the are fuck right? is going on? Because right. he's talking about, like you said, the religion that's, like, created yeah. uh, in the book. And it just kind of seems like this guy's, like, off his rocker. And then it dips back into, right. like, how did we get here? Right. But if you didn't have that setup, you know, uh, then none of the rest of it would have stakes. Right, exactly. I think another good example of that would be uh, Breakfast of Champions, which Breakfast of Champions is so ugh, just like technically savvy as a fiction novel, but it, it basically, the chapters go between the perspective of two different characters. Both characters are flawed, like deeply so. And it's like, it's it's hard to, it's hard to like, examine the world through those lenses but even still like you have to do that in improv sometimes right sure. like or you have to do that in acting like you have to portray or organically a character that isn't like you or or doesn't share some of the same things yeah and the way that he does it is so interesting and he often places himself in novels and like i've heard yeah he like, does meta things right characters yes and i I just love the that idea is of that. Wild, yeah, of being able to just break it and be like, "Oh, I'm the author, and here's actually what I think." Man, yes, I I forgot that 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 was also kind of like a, a keynote of his writing. Is that that has to be something that just blew your mind yes. the first time it oh, happened in something of yeah, his you're reading? Because yeah. I think one of my favorite pieces of like uh, literature criticism is Roland Barthes' Death of the Author, and in that he kind of states that like once you write something and you put it out into the world, it's out of your hands. So like. It, ne it never matters what the author's intention is. It's how that specific piece of work is consumed. Mm -hmm. But Vonnegut, like almost as, as an author, reclaims his work inside of his work. And because it's there forever, and he's such a classic author, like he continues to reclaim his work like after his passing, which to me is just incredible. That's unreal. I never even would have considered that. Because of course, you know, when I took a film class in college, which was kind of like similar to my, you know, uh, that's probably as close as I get to the kind of like cultural, yeah. like, uh, uh, awakening that you had with his work was just like discovering how much I love film. Right. But even when I did that, whenever we would talk about like whatever, what the, we thought the director's intention was or like, but we would never talk about it as what we thought the director's intention was. Right. We would always talk about it as fact. Yes. And it always Blue, like I was always so frustrated because I was just like, "How the fuck do we do know, we know yeah. what we're supposed to be getting out of this?" Obviously, if a director's doing their job, that's something that they're toying with. Is like right. they do want to tell us something specific, or they want it to be left up to more interpretation. 
but it is so so fascinating to me right? to talk about him in terms of reclaim getting that back and knowing yes. exactly what he and having total control over what he wants the reader get out of it yes yeah that to me was just i don't know it was so cool to also see like a trope that you're never supposed to break within right. writing for him to do it so well yeah and for it to be so funny like it's it's not like one of those things where it's like an i the author and it's some big poetic statement right it's like him just being stupid and being like i want a place like and and i want to be able to comment on the people that i've created here Man. Yeah, and and it's also it's also wonderful to me because I think you can see like a chunk of him and all of his characters, mm-hmm. which is and very you probably delightful. have a better sense of that with his voice, his yes. actual voice in there. Yeah, yeah. I think the only, uh, yeah. I so I have Kirvana get tattooed on my body. Yes. I have like a sign. So you guys show it through the window oh. for anyone, anybody who's listening. <laughs> I think that they're engaged. It's happy hour here. I get it. Um. But I like have a tattoo of him on, on my body. I have a stuffed doll of him. I've had friends who have like drawn pictures of me where I'm like laying on his shoulder and like I have a signed picture of him. But I will say the way that he deals with female characters is so problematic. And like not even I don't want to mm, problematic is a very fraught term. I feel yes, like especially like right now. Yep. Um, but he also like comments on that within his writing. Like he basically says, because I feel like I can't see myself in my female characters. I feel like they're not as fleshed out, which is something that like in more or less he, he like says in a lot of his that novels. self-awareness. Right. And so the self-awareness. So interesting. It's very interesting, but it's also like, but also that's we're a the kind same. of a cop out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> But also, we're just fucking humans, right. so you should be able to write a woman. Right. <laughs> so it's, like, very interesting, because a lot of the times, like, you know, I think I have issues with the way that, like, Valencia Pilgrim and Slaughterhouse-Five or Montana Wildhack is... Uh, the way they're portrayed because it is like I think the only drawback to his female characters is like you can't see himself in it so like uh, interesting right so a lot of his like meteor characters like a Billy Pilgrim type or like they're all Newt men. from yeah right yeah so like Newt from um, Cat's Cradle like all of those like male characters I really like found myself in because I could see him in them and there were these like fully realized complicated characters Brooding yes and, right yeah. right and then to not have the same for the women always it feels a little weird it, but yeah. i i still love him but that is something that like as a modern day feminist and someone who is like very interested in like current uh like social politics it's that's hard for me to reconcile with sometimes of course but i still think that there's like a uh, limitless merit to a lot of his work but, yeah. I, but I do feel like I need to acknowledge that, having, I, like, had the thought and loving him so much. I'm glad that you did. And I think that it's like you said, the term problematic is so fraught and so, yeah. like, it shouldn't necessarily be dismissive. Right. But right. it's worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think there's, like, levels uh, at which things are problematic and I would for say like sure. if we're looking at this in terms of a like you know if we're looking at the hegemonic scale like this is probably on the lower end maybe a little bit gotcha yeah yeah I mean even just I think you could say that about a vast majority of popular culture mm-hmm. that the men m- male characters are more fleshed out more easily right. related to right than their female counterparts yeah you know if yeah. anytime I look at those breakdowns of like Who's talking in the popular movies? Right. You know? Right. And it's like always men and yes. it's always white people. And yep. you're just like. Very true. 
but I like all these movies, you know? <laughs> right, right? Yeah, and it's so interesting because I like, I think the only thing that's keeping him from being timeless is that. And I think that like, he will, I mean, he's so much better than Hemingway. Oh God, I remember like reading Hemingway and being like, who is it's this a, for? It's kind of a slog, yeah. Yes, I'm like, I don't like the, who I, like, I don't for? resonate with it. Like, it's beautiful, but like, mm, it I don't doesn't, you resonate can't, with me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was such a noted like misanthrope, if I'm not mistaken, right, or right. misanthrope, excuse me, uh, that that it makes sense that when you you know <laughs> you try to read like a story about the human condition and yes. it's so just like and you're like which human? Yeah, I don't feel this way. <laughs> <laughs> Who's human condition? Right. Uh, that's so funny and probably a really good comparison between the two in terms yeah. of like iconic. Right. Uh, uh, American authors. Yeah. Um, so once you did that, uh, you know, senior thesis project, and you felt so invigorated, a, a three degreed, you know, <laughs> uh, post grad uh -huh. uh, entering into. Did you move directly to Chicago? I did. I had a I had a U-Haul packed the day I graduated, and I walked Damn. across the stage and then got into the U-Haul and came to Chicago. It could not have been more direct. Oh, I was done. I was like, I gotta, I gotta leave Indiana. But I, I also, I like my senior year, I didn't have classes, so I commuted to Chicago for a year nice. and took classes at Iowa Second Cities because the hope was, and I actually went under the gun with still a theater here. Mm -hmm. I got on, I got on that ensemble before I moved because I wanted to like have some sort of community here before Good for I you. left. Jesus, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Along with all of that, how did Kurt Vonnegut and his books and like all the work you had kind of just done and were working on yeah. while you were kind of here splitting time, um, what, how did it like stay with you and how did it kind of inform, inform you more as like a budding adult? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mentioned this to you too. Like I, so I was kind of going to go two paths, right? Like I was either right. going to come to Chicago and do comedy or like the idea is that I would either become a Vonnegut scholar. So like just have like a complete wealth of knowledge of his entire body of work and him as a human um, or like, you know, get an MFA in creative writing somewhere. And I think I ultimately picked comedy because I do think in a lot of his work, like, I wouldn't say that he was critical of academia, but I do think that he kind of promoted a balance of like academia and real life experience. And to me, I was kind of like, you know, I will always be fascinated with him and he inspires me so much in like the work that I do on stage. That if I have that first and then go back, I feel like that might be more true to, um, you know, his ideas on what academia and like, a like actual like art creation is. That is so... so so funny and so interesting that yeah. you let that you let that kind of also inform you know how you even continued to study his yeah. work yeah the idea that you considered you know continuing schooling and going to be a Vonnegut scholar is like so significant to me I just I love I yeah it's like it, it's so weird because I do feel like when you like find that thing that you're like oh Th this is what it's like to be interested in something the first time, right? Like you yes. have that one piece of like work or art that like ignites something in you and you're yes. like, oh, th this is who I am. And like, this is what I'm interested in. And this is like the act, the like point of access for me to go into uh, other things that I enjoy. Absolutely. So then I do feel like in a way you kind of like build your life around whatever that is. Right. Absolutely. Like for, it was, it was Vonnegut, then it was comedy. Sure. Then it was like, you know, activism. Then it was, like the idea of like knowledge and gaining like 
just like, you know, the, not more. What do I want to say? It was just like, yeah, the gain of knowledge. And I think that is, I do like trace that back to discovering Slaughterhouse Five when I was 14 because of Boy That I Liked on the Internet was reading it. <laughs> that is so great i love that is so it makes so much sense that someone who'd be already kind of predisposed to enjoy his work would also kind of let it influence the trajectory that they took throughout the rest of you know your life yeah um the the idea that he incorporated comedy into you know things that were political into things Mm -hmm. that were like science fiction related obviously has to have had a huge effect on you um how do you feel like your love of Vonnegut has influenced you directly creatively yeah I well I will say I think that my stuff is either political or like alien monsters a little bit um and not like alien monsters I think like what I loved about Vonnegut so much is that he could bring humanity to really any type of character so a lot of times you have him creating these like otherworldly alien characters but they have like such human ideals or they struggle with kind of the same ideas that we struggle with maybe on a different level Mm -hmm. um but largely in the same way so i think i really enjoy like also doing that like like bringing humanity grounding weirdness yes yes like normal like i think the idea of like normalizing things is so interesting to me whether that's like you know i think on like a social level like normalizing mental illness or like normalizing the uh views of other people um is really important to me but also like on stage like normalizing talking about politics but in a funny way or like normalizing these like alien weirdo characters who also like have heart and soul and like realism and personification in them that tracks so so directly in terms of like he was you know he's constantly talking about political things but yeah. shrouded by like weird aliens and right, like comedy right. and that seems like such a one to one and i think a lot of his writing about these otherworldly places is like you know I, I think that he like dealt with a lot of xenophobia in his time and like you know he was he like was in a war so like having those two like opposed sides but like being in it and being like these people aren't any different from me and like kind of like why are we doing this and then yeah. to like put that feeling and those ideas like you know outside of our universe and then bring them back in and kind of examine like why what it says about human nature right i literally have chills from that description because it seems so imperative yeah and that's like like true to right now that's what i'm saying yeah that's kind of what i'm getting it seems so like modern and necessary and i think it's so awesome that that has brought you know you a comedic voice that you can kind of continue to speak to that experience with and i'm sure so much of that as well has to do with being a hoosier who was like stuck in this place and thought that there were these accepted ways of seeing the world and then him getting out to go to a war yes right right and what a gift of a person to be able to come back from that and take it and go like man i don't really understand why we're doing this i think i want to write about the human condition (laughs) right and i think in a lot of his novels he does kind of like describe like you know the basis of humanity is like and at least for him is like goodness and like we are born to like 
want to be compassionate or to like be with other people like us and somewhere along the line like some people get like and he does use this imagery i think a lot that like some people get poisoned and what Mm. they get poisoned with is often like either the key to their demise or the key to their enlightenment um and i think like looking at people in that way or even like i think that's what kind of sparked my interest in gender studies like this idea of like we have these norms but why do we have these norms like what poisoned this idea of just like uh being like human to where we have to like fit into these gendered boxes and that's always been so fascinating to me like how has history created this thing or how has it like poisoned like just like the organic human body or experience um yeah that I didn't even think about the idea that that was like you're studying that along with all this other stuff in college. And I'm sure it made you even more aware of the disparity between his characters and things like that. Yeah. It was, yeah. I don't know. And poison, I do feel like, is a strong word. But I do feel like. But it is what it is. It's an analogy. It's a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. It's like kind of the idea of like what contaminates us. Right. And like. You know, I think some contaminants are fine or they're benevolent, but then other contaminants like come in for like from different filters, like and create like who we are, I think deserve to be examined constantly. And like, we should always constantly be asking why we have those things. It seems like we've uh, discussed this a decent amount mm-hmm. as well, but if you could put a, you know, finishing touch on how you feel like Kurt Vonnegut's works have influenced your life Mm -hmm. in general what would that look like yeah i think like the major things that he has taught me um are to like i think the idea of like if you're not having fun what are you doing yes because like it's like you know that's straight susan messing improv note is uh her her line is if you're not having fun you're the asshole yeah um he has a line, I forget which novel is it, but it's like, uh, we were put on this earth to be foolish and don't let anybody tell you anything different. Oh, right. And beautiful. I do, I think like that influences me a lot because like, you know, things are shit a lot of the times. And I think examining those is wonderful, but also like finding the humor in everything that you can and also like creating that and examining like humans as these ridiculous things that like come up with like opinions or ideas that disadvantage other people is ridiculous. People who do that are ridiculous and kind of like uh, painting it in that way, I think is, uh, you know, not always productive because I do think like at some point you need to be like this, your benevolence is evil and we need to like examine this. But I think ultimately being like, you know, uh, yeah like getting away from like the basic core of humanity of like being good and establishing community um is is ridiculous yeah (laughs) and it's so funny that you say that that you make that caveat of like obviously benevolence is not always the you know right because it seems like that's what he's doing too it seems like he's putting those messages inside of these like dense stories about like political you know upheaval and things like that it's it's amazing to me and I can't believe it's like not more kind of pointed to honestly that he incorporated those like hey we still have to be able to laugh about all this stuff right right into those you know more serious like you said like Slaughterhouse Five isn't necessarily a, a vacation read uh, right. but 
I think it's important to find the humor in yeah. all of that. Yeah, and all of his humor is so simplistic too. I think I, I believe it's in uh, Breakfast of Champions. He has like a picture of a gun, and underneath he was like, you know, guns were created to put holes in other people, which is like so simplistic, but uh, it's hilarious right. because like it's true. Yeah. And no matter where you are on like that debate, Spectrum, it's like sure. you know the, the people who say like you know guns don't kill people, people kill people. It's like there there's literally no other reason for a gun than to put a hole in something. You know what I mean? Like, And, and, and to be able to talk about it that plainly. Yes, to just be like, it's plain and simple, black and white, literally this is created to put holes in other things. Right. Like, that That to me is like, that simplicity is something that I think anyone can understand. It's like, how can you argue with that? Because it's, I mean, it's true. And it's like, it's so funny that like, humans are so ridiculous that we were like, this is a thing that we need. And this is the thing that we'll use to fight our ridiculous wars. <laughs> and and what a gift of a creative person to be able to like hold a mirror up to that in yes. a way that you have, you know, never forgotten. Yes. And that you then continue to like inform your life with yeah. and the way that you uh, speak to people and perform. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank yeah. you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd be like absolutely remiss Ooh, if you didn't I, mention it? Can I tell you my favorite line that Vonnegut ever wrote? I would and love it, that. It was in Slaughterhouse-Five, and I think this goes back to like how wonderful his structuring was. Um, but in Slaughterhouse-Five, there's just a moment that you see with Billy Pilgrim and Valencia Pilgrim on their wedding night. Um, and, you know, uh, Billy Pilgrim is kind of painted as this whole like really sad, sorrowful character who kind of like couldn't care less if he lives or dies type thing but he is unstuck in time and kind of sees his whole life at the same time it and seems like apathy for things yes. would come along with that yes. existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly him but uh, there's just a little part at the end of this scene where Vonnegut says uh, incidentally Billy Pilgrim had a tre tremendous wang you never know who's going to get one and then just completely changes the subject and that is like <laughs> what so much of his writing is is just these like little like kind of like filthy nuggets of hilarious things and it combined just like leaves with, it yes combined with and like, it's always such a better joke yes than like yes. saying that that and then having to explain it or dig right, into it right. it's always always the better yes. joke to just leave it there because yeah, it's just those things combined with like intense like examination of the human experience <laughs> like it, it's uh, that uh, the, the fact that those two things can, can exist and make each other better i think has uh influenced me Had tremendously a as a human <laughs> that makes so much uh, sense yeah. it makes i think it's completely understandable yeah Thank you so much again Thank for doing this, Thank you so much for Shelby. asking me. I love talking about Vonnegut. I love you, and I mean that. I love you. <laughs> this has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all, thank you all. I am GrabBot23548X.